Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship. We're an incredibly blessed people, are we not? Yes, we are. Not just a team here, but actually there are dozens of people all around the place this morning serving us, blessing us that we might come together to worship as a group of people and to hear from our God. Incredibly, incredibly blessed people. It's just a gift to be here this morning and to come together to worship God and to come before his word again this morning. I hope you came with your Bibles this morning. If you did, please open up to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 29. I'll be honest with you. It's an incredibly uh, challenging passage of scripture. I now know why Nick's on holidays. All right, He saw the church of Thyatira and he literally fled the country. It's to Singapore I go as long as I don't have to preach this passage. Right? But that's okay. We'll get him back. We'll make him preach solo through like Lamentations or Leviticus or Numbers or something like that. And we'll get him. Don't you worry. Well, this morning we're going to focus in on tolerance. And you might think that's a bit of a bizarre topic, but it's actually a marker of our world today. We live in an incredibly incredibly individualistic society. We're a post-Christian nation, which simply means that Christianity is no longer the primary worldview of our society. We used to have a seat at the table of politics and morality and ethics, but we don't anymore. Christianity is being pushed to the fringes more and more. So we're a post-Christian nation. In many ways, we're an incredibly lost nation. And that's evident in the way that we approach truth. See, truth used to be absolute. Something that was either true or it wasn't. And it was a fairly simple world to live in. But that's not the case anymore. Now, you have your truth, and I have mine. And as long as you kind of stay over there and just keep it to yourself, well, well, then we'll be fine. It's all about tolerance. In fact, the only thing you're allowed to be intolerant of is intolerance. And And all of that, sorry, is put under the guise of love. See, we're told that tolerance is love. And it's actually more important than the truth. So if you're intolerant, if you dare to disagree or point me to the truth, and you don't love me, that's not love. Because if you love me, you just leave me alone. That's the world that we live in. And I want to be really clear. We're not talking about rudeness this morning when we talk about tolerance. We're called to respect and honor and love all people because all people are made in the image of God. We don't push our views on anyone because faith just doesn't work like that. But as we come to our passage this morning, you'll see that Jesus challenges them. He rebukes them for their tolerance. They tolerated false teaching and sexual immorality and it's like a cancer. It's killing them from the inside out, and they don't even know. They don't realize. That's the challenge that lies before us this morning. But before we go any further, Denise is actually going to read our passage this morning. There she is. Bless you, sister. Go for it. Okay, the passage this morning is Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write... 
These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that now you are doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you. Here we have Jesus' fourth letter written to the church of Thyatira. It's a letter dripping with authority, and we can see that right from the outset. See, Jesus' description is pulled from John's vision in chapter 1. Only there he described himself as the Son of Man, not the Son of God. And that title, the Son of Man, that emphasizes his humanity and his compassion, whereas the Son of God emphasizes his authority his deity, and his holiness. That's what Jesus puts in front of them. Not his compassion, but his holiness, his power. He has eyes like a flame of fire. In other words, he sees everything. And his gaze is like a purifying flame. His feet are like burnished bronze. They trample out iniquity. They stamp on impurity. It's a picture of righteous judgment. Jesus stands as a purifying fire. And there's something incredible about that. It's an amazing picture, but let's be honest, it's also terrifying. That's not the intro that you want. If Jesus is sending you a letter, that's not what you want to read. You want the picture that he gave to the church in Smyrna. I am the first and the last. I am he who died but came back to life. That's what you want to hear. That's not what Jesus says to the church in Thyatira. He says, I'm a purifying fire. And I see everything. I see the good in you. I see your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. I see it all. And it's really important for us to grab hold of that. I mean, this church was doing so much right. It was not some kind of whack church. They weren't a cult. You can't just put them in a box over there. No, they were growing. Good things were happening. And Jesus praises them for those things. 
says you're abounding in works. And that word literally means works of love. So this isn't the Ephesian church where they had works but didn't have any love. No, they had works and those works were rooted and grounded in love. Gape love. And weren't going through the motions. They were passionate about Jesus. They cared deeply for those around them. I mean, they sacrificed for one another. They served one another. They were committed to the kingdom. Despite the persecution that they were facing. It hadn't overwhelmed them. They weren't a deflated people because of that opposition. No, their commitment was growing. And they were doing greater things than they ever had before. But. Greater things than they ever had before. But. But Jesus says, I have this against you. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel. She calls herself a prophet, but Jesus makes it really clear she isn't one. So you can call yourself a prophet all you want, but that doesn't mean anything. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says this, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to man but to God, for no one understands him, but utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. That's the mark of a true prophet. Really clear. That's the mark of a true prophet. They encourage and support and build up those around them. They don't seduce and tear down and lead people into sin. It goes against their very calling. So she's not a prophet. Let's be really clear about that. The fruit of her ministry is all the evidence that we need. She's a false prophet, a false teacher that's actually tearing people away from Christ. But here's the key. In the midst and in the light of all of that, Jesus says, I hold it against all of you. Not just her, I hold it against all of you. Each and every one of you are members of this body. You're a part of the priesthood of all believers. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the scriptures and the apostles' teaching. You know that what she's doing is wrong. You know that it stands against everything I am for, and yet you've done nothing. Done nothing. See, Jesus holds the entire church accountable for their failure to act. He holds the entire church accountable for their failure to act. They saw something that just wasn't right. And instead of addressing it, they stayed silent. They avoided the problem and just hoped that it would go away or that somebody else would deal with it. Or they just pretended like it wasn't really that big of an issue. And Jesus says, I hold it against you. I rebuke you for your tolerance. This isn't about bearing with one another in love, although Paul calls us to do that again and again. This is about tolerating sin. That's what this is about, tolerating sin. It's like a cancer that's spreading through their church. It's killing them. It's destroying everything that's good, and they, they don't even realize. 
completely oblivious to what's going on inside. You know, this kind of thing happens way more than it should. This isn't something that's isolated the church in Thyatira. And you hear of prominent pastors who fall all the time. And it destroys their ministry. It damages the church. A couple of years ago, one of my favorite preachers, uh, someone who I respected enormously, was exposed. Came out that he'd been sexually inappropriate with a number of women. And this is something that happened over 20 years. It wasn't an isolated incident. It'd been going on for a long time. And I remember when I read it, I, my heart just sank. We're called to be different. We've been rescued and redeemed taken from the darkness to life. It's not who we are anymore. So when we read this stuff, it's just incredibly disappointing. I remember reading an article about why those women that he actually was sexually inappropriate with, why they stayed silent for so long. I found it fascinating because every one of them said the same thing. I said, I love my church. And I thought that if I said anything, I'd destroy it. I love my church. Genuinely love my church. I don't want to see it torn down. I don't want to see it destroyed. So I stayed silent. Church, you could have the best intentions. You could come from this beautiful place, but tolerating this kind of stuff poisons the church. It poisons the body every time. It's like a cancer. It festers. So Jesus says, I hold it against you. You stayed silent when you should have spoken up. You didn't address it, so I will. That's the scary thing. Jesus says, you didn't address it, but I will. Let's pick it up in verse 21. This is Jesus' response. He says, I gave her time to repent But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you as your works deserve. He says, I gave her time to repent. I've been convicting her and challenging her by my spirit. And all she's done is harden her heart even more. And it's really important for us to notice that actually Jesus led with grace, not judgment. He gave her a chance. He patiently tried to restore her and to lead her into life, but she wasn't interested in that. He didn't want anything to do with repentance. She hardened her heart again and again. So Jesus says, I'm going to turn a bed of immorality into a bed of judgment. You tolerated her sinfulness, but I won't. Judgment is coming. And I know that, that probably doesn't sit comfortably with some of you here this morning. We don't like reading that kind of stuff. I mean, God is love, isn't he? His mercies are new every day. So how do we deal with this? I mean, verse 23 is just staggering. Jesus says, I will strike her children dead. That's staggering. And even though that word means followers, so he's talking about her disciples, not her biological children, even 
with that, what he says is still staggering. The Greek literally reads like this. I will kill them with death. That's what Jesus says. I will kill them with death. That's incredibly harsh. It's shocking to us. And it's meant to be. As Jesus is saying, this is how serious I am about sin. I'm willing to shake people to the very core that I might awaken them to my spirit. I'm willing to bring my people low that I might restore them and lead them into everlasting life. That's how serious Jesus is about sin. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I mean, we read this and we struggle with it. We don't like that at all. But we can't lose sight of the loving Father who stands behind all of this. Jesus is unwilling to settle for anything less than what's best for them. Unrelenting in his work for their eternal best. He disciplines them because he wants to lead them into righteousness and into life. See, cruel fathers let their children grow crooked. Loving fathers won't. I feel like now that I'm a dad, I get that. Really, I do. I hate disciplining Sebastian. I hate. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to send him to his room and listen to him cry. I can't even look at his face. He's just so cute. That little, <laughs> little lip when you tell him, you know, and it quivers. And it's just, I can't even look at it. So I've got to kind of discipline him with my eyes closed, right? I don't know how effective that is. Just get in your room. Do what you're told, for goodness sake. I hate it. I think every parent in this room knows exactly what that's like. As a kid, you're like, no, you love it. You love it. Be honest. And you're like, no, actually, we, I hate it. I hate doing this. But I know that I am who I am today because I had a father who loved me enough to train me in the way I should go. Loving fathers don't let their children grow crooked. They just don't. From a place of love with eternity in mind, Jesus sends a message to each and every church. Notice that, to each and every church. He says, just like fire attire, you need to know that I see everything. That I discipline and I bless. I give according to your works because that's what true fathers do. That's what true fathers do. But this is how he finishes in verse 24. He says, but to the rest of you, and that word really means the remnant, to the remnant in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on any other burden. 
Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as myself I have received authority from the Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we get to verse 24 and Jesus finishes with encouragement. The church was doing so much right and Jesus praises them for all of that. He rebukes them for their misplaced tolerance. Their tolerance of the wrong thing and it was incredibly harsh. He doesn't finish there. He doesn't end with judgment. No, he finishes with hope. Because that's who our God is. He's incredibly patient. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He longs to bless us and to lead us into life. Everlasting life. So he turns to those who kept themselves free from Jezebel's sin, to the remnant. And he says, on you I lay no other burden, just keep going. I know it's not always easy. And I know that sometimes it feels like the whole world is against you. But keep going. Hold fast to what you have. In other words, hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Don't get sucked into the deep things of Satan. Don't be distracted from the truth. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the result of buying into what he offers. But I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Hold fast until I come and know that I will pour out my blessing on those who overcome. You're not missing out by choosing to follow me. What I have is greater I'll give you authority over the nations. In other words, I'll share my dominion, my throne with you. I'll lift you up and empower you to shepherd the nations. Because that's what that word rule literally means, to shepherd. Jesus says, you'll shepherd the nations with me. Because I received authority from the Father, so too you will receive authority from me. Don't worry about the world. What it has to offer pales in comparison to what I will give you. I'm not holding anything back. I will give you the morning star. I know that seems like such a strange thing to say. What does that mean, morning star? Revelation chapter 22 verse 16 says this. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So Jesus is saying the greatest gift I have to offer you is actually me. It's me. I'll give you all that I am. Everything I have will be yours. That's the hope that he offers to the church of Thyatira. That's the hope that he gives to us this morning. That's our motivation. That's what we grab hold of. Cannot tolerate sin. Pursuing Jesus. Pursuing holiness. Because he's given us the bright morning star. I want to finish with a story about a man... And his son goes like this. A wealthy man and his son loved to collect rare works of art. 
They had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and just admire the great works of art. When the Vietnam War broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous and he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands. He said, sir, you don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart, and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for us. And the young man held out its package. He said, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. And the father opened the package. It was a portrait of his son, painted by the young man. He stand in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and offered him to pay for the picture. Oh no, sir, I could never repay you for what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works that he'd collected. A man died a few months later. And there was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited to see the great paintings and have the opportunity to purchase one for their own collection. And on the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We will start the bidding with the picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? Well, there was silence. And a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous paintings. Skip this one. The auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? $100, $200. Another voice shouted angrily. We don't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Get on with it. But still the auctioneer continued. The sun, the sun. Who will take the sun? Finally, a voice came from the very back of the room. It was a longtime gardener of the man and his son. He said, I'll give you $10 for a painting. Being a poor man, it was all he could afford. If $10, who will bid 20 Give it to him for $10, someone shouted. Let's see the real work of art. $10 is the bid. Once someone bid 20 the crowd was actually becoming angry. They didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collections. The auctioneer pounded the gravel, going once, going twice, sold for $10. A man sitting in the second row shouted, now let's get on with the collection. But the auctioneer laid down his gavel. Sorry, the auction is over. What about the other paintings, he shouted. I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal that stipulation until now. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including all of the other paintings. The one who took the sun gets everything. See, there's a reason why Jesus finishes by offering the morning star, by offering himself. 
It's because he's everything. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. Jesus is greater. It doesn't matter how much it costs. Jesus is greater. And when we fix our eyes on him, and when we allow ourselves to be consumed by him and by the cross, by everything that it cost him, everything that he's done for us, the holiness that Jesus calls us to naturally flows. Because I want to please him. I want to honor him with everything I am. I can't tolerate sin because I know the price that he paid to set me free from it. I can't go back to it. I can't tolerate it. May we be a people who, like Paul, say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, the bright morning star. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you this morning and we're reminded afresh of how blessed we are as a people, how good of a God you are, how good it is that you've been to us. We rejected you. Despite your love, we went our own way, and yet you, you pursued us. You laid down your life to set us free. You've given us everything. That what awaits us in the future is beyond what we could possibly imagine. We are such a blessed people. Father, help our hearts to grab hold of that. It's so easy to to keep it up in our heads, but actually we need our hearts to be consumed, changed, captivated by the grace and mercy of you, by the cross. Help our hearts to grab hold of the fact that you are greater, that you are everything. And then even if everything else was stripped away from us, that as long as we have you, that we have everything. May that guard our hearts. May it build and grow a desire within us to pursue you and to give you everything. This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.